Well, the final Monday of May of every year has been called Memorial Day, and we celebrate it over the weekend. Uh, it began really after the Civil War. It was called Decoration Day. It was a day that we remember the men and women who have given and sacrificed their lives for our freedom. And when you talk about our freedom, freedom from what? Uh, well, freedom from terror, freedom from tyranny, uh, freedom from loss, freedom from attack, but in reality, what we're talking about is freedom from fear. Freedom from the fear of all those things. Well, if so many men and women have given their lives so we can have freedom from being fearful, then do you have a handle on your freedom? I'm asking you this morning, do you have a handle on fear? It was Mark Twain who used to say, I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. <laughs> you know, when you begin to let fear drive your life, it generalizes to just about everything in your life. I, I love reading history and, and remarkable stories of, of believers that have demonstrated fear that is beyond something I can comprehend. I had never heard of James Renwick. But apparently in the 1600s, uh, King Charles II was trying to bring Church of England into Scotland. And so many true believers in Scotland were executed. John James Renwick was one of these. And he was hunt, hunted down and arrested, tried. And the night before he's executed, he writes this short note to his mother and his young sisters. And he writes, death is the king of terrors, but not to me now. As it was sometimes in my hidings, but now... Let us be glad and rejoice. Would ever I have thought that the fear of suffering and the fear of death could be so taken from me? The kid was 26 years old. And I asked the same question because I think of all the things that I'm fearful of. Is it really possible that even the fear of death could be taken away from a believer. Now, fear itself is not a bad thing. I mean, if a Mack truck is coming at you, it's fear that moves your little backside out of the way. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the emotion of fear. God has given us the emotion of fearing to, to create energy, to, to protect ourselves. It's, it, it is to move us away from harm. Nothing wrong with the feelings of fears. God's emergency alarm within us. I mean, he's got it all worked out. The adrenal gland shoots adrenaline into our blood system. Blood pressure rises, heart beats faster, eyes dilate, and our body is on alert for fight or flight. Our problem is when fear moves from being a feeling to an attitude. That is, we're not just feeling fear from time to time. We start thinking fear. We start predicting fear. And first of all, it's just going to wear your body out. You just can't have that kind of adrenaline rush all the time without burning and beginning to destroy your physical body. 
But more important than that, if we start being driven by thinking about fear, predicting fear, it's going to change us. It's going to change you. You're going to become more protective, more defensive, more angry. Everything around you is going to be a, a threat. Most of our social ineptness, most of our social weirdness has to do with fear. All of a sudden, people become a threat. So we become jealous, competitive. We lie, we deceive each other. And it's all out of this thing called fear because when my life is now controlled by this attitude of fear, and I'm all about self-protection, what do you think that does with relationships? They're out the door. They're gone. So this Memorial Weekend, those who gave their lives to provide for us a freedom, a freedom from fear, I want to make sure you don't leave this auditorium today without being able to embrace what it is you have the freedom, freedom from the fear of man. So if you will, you love God, I mean you still have your Bibles, don't you? Scottsdale Bible Church. Open your Bibles to Proverbs. Proverbs 29, one verse. Solomon gives us his summary statement really about everything he has to say and about fear. He says in Proverbs 29, verse 25, says the fear of man lays a snare, but, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. He begins with the fear of man, lays a snare, lays a trap for you. 17 different Hebrew roots translated fear in the Hebrew canon. This particular one is the Hebrew word haradah, and it speaks of a trembling, a trembling before something. The word here, this trembling of man, the word man is Adam, which means dust, dirt. Solomon's picturing this. We are now trembling in front of dust. And this is a snare. The word is trap. The trembling before dust, before man, is a trap. And the trap, the snare, is cowardice. Makes you a coward. What is a coward? Is not a coward someone who will not do what they know they need to do because they're so afraid of doing it? Or they'll do what they know they ought not to do because they're so fearful of not doing it. Moral cowardice is when I no longer can do the right thing and I can no longer not do the wrong thing because of fear. So what happens is I fear the creation so much that I permit the creation to cause me to lose any freedom that I have. So what, what's the answer to this, this trap? Well, it's always been. The fear of God has always been incompatible with the fear of man. It's always been the resolution to it. It's a very simple principle. You fear the creator, you don't fear the creation. You fear the creation, it's because you don't fear the creator. And the principle is simply this. It takes a greater fear to cast out a lesser fear. 
Can you believe? Holly and I, our elder son, is 40 years old. 40, John is 40 years old. I cannot believe I married such an old woman. <laughs> 40 years old. But I remember 34 years ago, when John was just six, we're living in Northern California, my first church, First Baptist San Lorenzo Valley, and Holly and I agree that John needs to learn how to swim. It's cost me $20. Swim lessons. So that whole week, John goes, Holly takes John for swim lessons. Friday comes graduation day. I show up because I want to see what I got for my 20 bucks. <laughs> so I set John on the other side of the deep end of the pool, and I'm on the other side of the deep end of the pool. I said, okay, John, dive in, swim over to Dad. He looked at me, he looked at the water. He looked at me, he looked at the water. And his little legs, I can picture right now, just beginning to shake. <laughs> he, he started getting fearful. I said, John, now come on, I'm here. Don't worry, nothing, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Dive in, swim over to Dad. Dad, Dad, I'm afraid. John, I want you to jump into that water and I want you to swim over. Holly's over here. You're such a horrible dad. I am not, I am not going to raise a daughter. I said, John, you dive into that pool, swim over here. Our daddy's coming around and paddling your little backside. This is what Troy meant that on the golf course, you see a lot more of me. <laughs> John looked at the water. He looked at me. Dove into the water. Swam underwater all the way to the other side. Came out, big smile. Went around, did it like four or five more times. It's a basic principle. It takes a greater fear to cast out a lesser fear. <laughs> At that moment, John feared dad. More did he fear drowning. <laughs> so it is that the fear of the Lord, if we just understand what it is, will cast out the lesser fear of creation. The fear of this world, the fear of men around us. As a matter of fact, Solomon said back in Proverbs 19, verse 23, that the fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it, whoever has a handle on what it means to fear the Lord, he will rest satisfied. It's this concept of peace. So, so how does this thing happen? Well, well, turn to Psalm 27. David's dealing with this because David lived a life of a warrior. A lot of potential threats. And David in Psalm 27 writes this. Verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation, my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, my foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Huh. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Excuse me, David, what? Though an uh, army is encamped around me, this is like, sure, I'm going to die, and yet I shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. 
And Solomon writes, but the, whoever will trust the Lord will be safe. This word safe means to be set on high. The idea is beyond the reach of Adam, beyond the reach of man. Later, the psalmist writes, the angel of the Lord encamps around me. Who fears him and rescues me? He's talking about divine protection. That because of divine protection, he doesn't even fear if an army surrounds him. Divine protection. Fear the Lord because there's divine protection. Did only non-Christians die in World War I? Did only unbelievers die in World War II? Or the Korean War? Or Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam? Only non-believers or people without faith died and everybody else was protected by God, right? Wrong. So I don't get this divine protection. So I read still the lives of other believers. Martin Luther, he actually defined in his writings the fear of the Lord. Here's what he said. The fear of God is nothing else than to serve God with a heart inwardly and with conduct outwardly, which consists in this. The one holds him in honor, reveres God, does and emits nothing but what he knows pleases God. So, so for Martin Luther, to fear God, to fear the Lord, meant to obey him, to, to not be a coward, but to do whatever he says that we're to do and to not do what he tells us not to do. That's fearing the Lord. But what about this divine protection? Boy, was it tested in Luther's life. When he came to the Diet of Worms, his trial on April 18th, 1521, they were going to kill him. Catholic Church, they were going to kill him. He's tried for his life. And when he realized how serious it was, he even asked for a night to think this thing through. Came back the next day, and here's what he said. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. A lot of people forget that he ends that courageous statement with a prayer. What was the prayer? God help me. The fear of God is to obey God, believing that God will always, God will always pull good out of any mess we find ourselves in. Whether that mess is created for us by others or that mess is created by, for our, by ourselves. That God will pull good out of any mess we're in. His good. Yeah, but what if that mess that I'm in hurts what if it's suffering? How does this divine protection work? Well, how did it work for David? Go back to Psalm 16. Listen to how David actually engaged 
with divine protection so he could have this, this absence of fear even though he, he knew he could die. Verse 7, Psalm 16, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. When does the Lord give him counsel? In the night, also my heart instructs me. What does he mean, my heart instructs me? You know, you have four different words in the Psalms translated to meditate. We get this idea because of Eastern religion that to meditate is to be silent. is to just empty your mind and be quiet. That's not biblical meditation. Every time the Hebrew word speaks of speaking to yourself. That's why we meditate on the word of God. We speak to ourselves. Why, why is there such emphasis in the night to meditate? To, to let our heart instruct us? It's because there's somebody you will believe. No matter what they tell you. They lie to you. And you believe every word of it. You know who that is? That's you. You tend to trust you. You believe that you tell yourself the truth. And so when you speak these things to yourself, you convince your heart. That's why Psalm 1 says, Ah, when a man meditates on the word of God, then he's like one on the land next to a river and he's strong like a tree that is fed because God says yeah I know you believe what your heart tells yourself so make sure you're telling yourself the truth and you only know you're telling yourself the truth when you're telling yourself the word of God so I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and so I'm not going to be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now watch this. My flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shield and let your Holy One see corruption. I know it's a prophecy of the future coming Christ. But for David, he's speaking about himself. He just said, my flesh dwells secure. So he's saying, arrows will bow right by me, bullets will miss me, I will not die in battle. No, he says, you will not abandon my soul where? In Sheol. That's the grave. David knows, I may die. I may get an arrow right between my eyes and go down like a stone. But my dead body in the grave will not be abandoned by God. He says, verse 11, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. Remember what joy is? The absence of fear. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know what he's saying? This divine protection is the fact that God will divinely engage to accomplish his purposes in your life and nothing can stop it. That's what Job learned. Remember, Job had a bad season. Lost everything. Wanted to die. Wanted to sue God. Take him to court. God finally breaks in and says, Who do you think you are, O little one? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? That first speech that God gives of Job kind of humbles Job. Job says, All right, you're bigger than I am. I can do nothing about it. I'll just sit here and be stuck. 
But God comes at him with a second speech. A second speech. And it was the second speech that where Job says in Job 42, I repent in ashes and dust, for now I have learned that the purposes of God will not be thwarted. Nothing's going to stop the purposes of God. No man, nothing in creation. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. For God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Well, then you know what this comes down to. Am I afraid of the purposes of God in my life? There's the question. Because I am afraid of the will of God. I'm afraid of God's purposes for my life. Do you know where that puts me? I am afraid of the Creator, and I am afraid of the creation, and my life is basically empty. Am I afraid of the purposes of God? Am I afraid of God's will in my life? Paul in Romans 12, after he's saying, here's all that God has done to show you your worth, what you mean to him, his plans for your life. Then Romans 12, 1, he begs. Paul says, now I'm begging you. Now present once and for all. Make up your mind. Present your soma, your body, as a living sacrifice to God which is your reasonable act of worship. Stop being conformed to this world and letting fear have its way, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove, prove something. Prove what? Prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect because most people don't believe it. Most Christians don't believe it. And so they fear the will of God. They don't believe it's good and that it's acceptable and that it's perfect. Daryl, are you afraid of the purposes of God in your life? Fear as an emotion is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, everybody I've talked to who's in as military and out of military that's shown great courage, they all have the same thing in common. They all were feeling the emotion of fear. You talk about men in battle. I, I talked to men who had the Congressional Medal of Honor. They said they were scared to death. You actually have to feel the emotion of fear to ever be courageous because fear is when you finally make the choice not to be a coward. When you're feeling that fear, when you want to wait, run away from harm. And when you make the choice, I will still do what I know God would have me to do. I'm not going to let this emotion of fear stop me. And I'm not going to do what I know God would not have me to do, even though this fear would want me to do it. When I was speaking at Hume Lake years ago, they, they wanted me to go splunking, spelunking. I thought it was like a snow cone. I, what's this belunking? <laughs> Took me out at night. Should have knew something was up when they gave me the little helmet with a light on it and a rope. 
we went out to the camp, and then there's this cave that they had to unlock because it had a gate. And then you go through the gate, and you go in about five, six feet, and then it drops 100 feet down. And we got to turn down, and we got to roll down, and they got to let me down on the rope. So they let us all down on the rope. Now I'm 200 feet below the surface at night. Turn my little light on. Got my little light on. It's about seven, eight of us. Well, then they start leading us through these little caves. Not too bad. Until the caves got smaller and smaller. Found ourselves crawling on our bellies with dust going into our mouth, spitting it out. I'll never forget the one time the guy says, okay, you got to blow the air out of your lungs so you can fit through. <laughs> right then. I didn't cry, Holly. I didn't cry. But have you ever whimpered? <laughs> a lot of emotion. A lot of emotion, fear. We finally got through there. Well, finally, we're on the way out. We're going up, and there's this woman that had been blessed by God and enjoyed food was, was ahead of me. And, and, and she, we're going up. It's the only way out, and she's stuck. And she says, push me. <laughs> First Corinthians 7 says, a man's not to be touching a woman there. <laughs> and I remember saying, it's not appropriate. <laughs> says, I don't care, push me. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of courage going on in those caves. <laughs> and a lot of pushing. No, 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 no. The emotion of fear and at times even whimpering at what this world throws at us, there's nothing wrong with that. But then, do you at night let your heart instruct you? Just like David said here. Do you let the Lord give you counsel and let the heart instruct you by telling yourself the truth? God doesn't lie. God's purposes for my life are driven by his wisdom. Do you remember when God first set up the rules? If there's going to be a relationship between God and man, what was God's first interaction personally with man? It's Genesis 12. Remember Abram. Later he becomes Abraham. It says, Abram, take your family, get up and go. No explanation. Just let me lay out the rules here. Abram, there are going to be times because my wisdom is infinite mind and you have finite mind. Abram, let's just begin at the beginning. Any relationship we have, there are going to be times I won't be able to explain it to you. It's much like when you have a preschool child. There's going to be times you're not going to be able to explain to them. I'll never forget when John cut his heel on that piece of plastic and we took him to the emergency room and I had to hold his heel while the doctor put the needles in to numb it to sew that heel up. And John in tears screaming, looking at me, do you think I could explain to my son this was a good thing? He didn't have a capacity to understand. 
We don't always have a capacity to understand because we do not have infinite wisdom. Am I afraid of the purposes of God when I know they are all driven by the divine wisdom of my heavenly Father? Daryl, tell yourself the truth. Do you really think you came to recognize who Christ is because of your own brilliance? Jesus, what? Five foot six? Jewish? God in a bod? Created heavens and the earth? Executed by Rome? That death was a sacrifice that would, would remove all the consequences of sin for anybody who trusted that execution. Your life would change and you'd live forever. <clears throat> Are you kidding me? That's the most unbelievable story that's ever been told. And yet it's called the gospel. What's amazing to me is I don't understand why I believe that without a doubt that's exactly the truth of who Jesus is. Until I read John 6, 44 and 45 where, where Jesus himself says, no one's going to recognize me. How could you recognize and believe a story like that? He says, no one comes unto me unless the Father draws him. Verse 45, for the prophets say the Father himself in heaven will cause them to learn of me. So here's my point. Remember Martin Luther? How did he end his courageous statement? With the prayer what? Help me. Help me. If God will answer a prayer to cause you to recognize who his son is, will not God answer a prayer to cause you to be able to trust who his son is? And that his son will pull good out of every mess this world creates for you. And that good will be the purpose of God, whether I understand it or not, because it's infinite wisdom behind his purposes. But if I tell myself the truth and ask God to give me, give me that trust, God will give it. God will give it. You see, it takes greater fear to cast out lesser fear. And it's the fear of the creator that's going to cast out all the fear of creation. And I realize God is in the details of my life, accomplishing his purpose for my life. And those purposes are driven by his infinite wisdom. And I don't always understand because I don't have that capacity always. But God can give me the trust, and thus the fear can fade away. If I instruct myself at night to let the counsel of God in my heart tell me the truth, God doesn't lie, and God hasn't lost you, and God is in control of the details of your life. That's why Isaiah could give this promise. The steadfast of mind the mind that is steadfast on God's presence with them will be kept in perfect peace. Will be kept in perfect peace. So, men and women have died for our freedom.
We celebrate that this weekend. Freedom from what? Freedom from fear. And if they, they died for it, that we could have it, why would we want to forfeit it? But why don't we embrace it? Remember, greater fear casts out a lesser fear. It is the fear of God. What is that? God, I'll trust and obey you. I won't be a coward, even when I have the emotions of whimpering. God, I'll do what is right, and I won't do what is wrong. I will not become a coward, and I will ask you to help me trust that you will pull good out of this mess. Last Sunday, Holly and I were in a church, and the pastor had a very interesting benediction. Mine's always been walk worthy, but, but I thought this was interesting. When he was all done, he basically asked them the question, get it? In other words, did you get the point? And they all answered together, got it. So, <laughs> get it? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this weekend. And throughout the weekend and tomorrow, we'll be reflecting. Cause us not to become too hurried, to not do some thinking, shedding some tears, and doing some remembering of those who provided us with this wonderful freedom. And Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the ability, the capacity to embrace the freedom we've been given. Now, Lord, we want to also remember those who are going through a mess, who are suffering and lost. Well, I'm so grateful that Scottsdale Bible Church has an elder fund so that people can have their needs met, experience some of the love of Christ through this church, through these people, through us, so that their fears might be relieved. So Lord, now as we prepare to take the elders' offering, I pray we would be generous.